This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's underdogfantasy.com or underdogfantasy in the app store. Sign up with promo code PITCHERLIST and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast, your morning pitching podcast from PitcherList.com. My name is Nick Pollock. Today is July 20th, and oh yes, we are going to talk about baseball. Are you a database engineer? I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. We have a part-time position that could turn into a full-time one relatively soon. Uh, if you have experience with Postgres and a lot of other things, go to PitcherList.com slash hiring. See the job description there, and I would love to meet you soon. Uh, we have an open position, and be, we're doing some amazing stuff here, so we would love to work with you. All right, Chase Silseth earned a King Cole with a 45% CSW against the Yankees yesterday. What? I mean, sure, the Yankees are a very bad offense right now, and 5.2 innings of one run, four hits, two walks, and 10 Ks, but what? This is Silseth, the guy who had a mediocre slider, an inconsistent splitter in fastballs that don't get whiffs or anything, but he had 14 whiffs in the night, and he had 10 of those over 39 sliders. 54% CSW on that. It's a completely new pitch, and I, I don't even feel right calling it a slider. It feels like a curveball, honestly, as it dipped down to even 79 and 80 miles per hour um, later in the night. It had eight extra inches of vertical drop and two of horizontal. It was a big loopy slider to me. Or sorry, uh, change a curveball that was a little bit harder than others, I guess. 54% CSW. I mean, that's just insane. The Yankees were so bad against it. It was good pitch separation. There were fastballs up and in, and then sinkers that were more arm side than glove side, while the slider pretty much just took the outer half and dominated over there. That works. They need to have some splitters. They honestly need a lot of hits. The Torres on on one of them, and I, I don't really think that's going to be an addition for him. I don't know if we're going to see Silseth, though, because Otani had the blister issue. That's why Silseth started here. The Angels could also go five-man um, for another term. As you have two days off, that is today, and they also have it on Monday. So we might not even see Seth get another opportunity, but man, this was really good. And if Otani is dealt, we'll see Chase Silseth here. If someone else is dealt by the Angels, we'll see Chase Silseth here. So it might be worthwhile um, if he does get the next start that would be against the Tigers. Yeah, let's just take a chance and see if that breaking ball is this good again. It's not going to be 54% CSW, but if it's still really good, that could be a very productive outing. Looking at other guys from yesterday, we have Yu Darvish, six innings, zero and runs, four hits, three walks, and seven strikeouts, uh, 16 whiffs, 31% CSW. He's really doing amazing stuff with his command, and it's just everything that you want to see from Yu Darvish at the moment. Uh, Brandon Bilak against the Rockies in course. Yeah, what on earth? What's his best pitch, by the way? Think about that, Brandon Bilak. Oh, yeah, it's obviously his changeup. Yeah, that went one for 20 CSW while everything else kind of uh, did well. 
but I mean, it was really the four seamer. I, I, whatever. This was weird. Not trusting this. Um, but if he has a good matchup moving forward, you're okay with Bilek. But yeah, yeah, he's a streaming option. Um, John Gray against the Rays, 4.1 innings of zero and runs, eight hits, one walk, four Ks. He was removed from a comebacker to the leg. He should be good for his next start. And I'm asking myself, is this enough of a start where I saw the skills that I want him to have that if it would feel comfortable moving forward? And you see those nine base runners in 4.1, you feel really bad about it. But then you see 40% CSW on 63 pitches and 13 whiffs. And that's pretty dang good. Um, that's like a 22% swing strike rate, something like that, which is insane. Slider was good four seamer was pretty good too i, I mean i want to say yes but then it's again it's the astro so it's actually kind of nice we feel we're feeling all right enough to hold on i think for a stash play against the astros let's just see how that one is and if he's able to really do well against the astros i mean john gray can be actually like really good now uh justin verlander against the white Sox. After me saying he wasn't an ace, he looked like an ace. Eight innings of one run, three hits, one walk, seven Ks. I'm so happy for him. It was the White Sox who made his curveball and slider look way better than they are. I'm not going to actually buy into it right now. I mean, look, I, I think that Justin Verlander should obviously be rostered. He's a Holly, all that kind of stuff. He's just not seven Ks with a 17 whiff game. Um, I don't think sustainably for the second half. Kyle Hendricks against the National, six innings, wanted to run five hits, zero walks, and five Ks. Great. You guys change up command back. It was off the last start, but we know that that's really weird for Hendricks, and hopefully you did start him here against the National still. We're still waiting on that curveball to show. Those are just two of them here, and I just think that'll be more sustainability for those nights when the change up command is not there. Christopher Sanchez against the Brewers was our stream pick of the day. Five innings, one earned run. Yeah, six hits and one walk. It's one more base runner than you're okay with, but three Ks too, and you'll take that ERA of 1.8, absolutely, against the Brewers. Good stuff there. And the, the, the changeup is still really, really good. Zach Little, uh, hopefully it could have been Zach Large, as he went 3.1 innings, wanted to run 5 hits, 0 walks, 4 Ks, 5 with 25% CSW. Unfortunately, he's not that. It was just a bullpen game for the Rays, and we move on. Sorry for the bad joke. Eduardo Rodriguez against the Royals, seven innings, two word runs, four hits, zero walks, and seven strikeouts, 15 whiffs, 30% CSW. Uh, this is great. And this just is exactly what should have happened against the Royals. He gets the Giants and Marlins after this. We're going for that. Ryan Nelson against Atlanta gets the win. Um, seven innings, two runs, three hits, one walk, five gates. Absolutely shocking here against Atlanta. Uh, what? I mean, it's, it's it's so strange. It's really the four-seamer that just got away with this, but it was two for 52 four-seamer whiffs and they earned outs. Meanwhile, the sliders and cutters over the plate uh, for 10 over 23 CSW uh, worked really well. That's 43%. I just don't really think that this is Nelson figuring it out or something. I would avoid this. This is a very, very weird game. Kenta Maeda against the Mariners. 6.1 innings, 200 runs, 3 hits, 0 walks, and 9 strikeouts. 12 over 31 whiffs on the splitter for 45% CSW is divine. Thank you so much for being that kind of team. Seattle. Uh, the slider, I do want to see overall as the season progresses more whiff ability on it. It was more of a strike pitch in this one as it had a 75% zone rate. That's fine when you have that splitter working the way it does. That's why it was acting like that. You lean on the splitter for whiffs and you get then you get those early strikes with sliders. That's cool. 33% called strikes. It was just one over 24 whiffs, but we're fine with this. And the fastball was like, hey, what's up? All right, only two balls in play. Excellent. That's exactly what you want to see. But I do want to see also those nights where the slider is the one that actually gets 
O-swing as opposed to being super reliant on inside the zone. I feel like Maeda can be more susceptible when he's not super reliant on called strikes on the slider. Jose Barrios against the Padres. Six innings, two earned runs, four hits, four walks, nine Ks. The four walks are really weird. What's also really weird is they had 50% CSW on the four-seamer with a lot of whiffs as it was very much in the zone. And I don't like that. I don't because Barrios excels when it's sinkers and slurves or really curves. And then four-seamers are saved for some elevation here and there. But fortunately, the Padres were like, yeah, come on in. It's fine because he had four walks and they were a little bit more passive. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're fine with this. It's just, Brios, don't regress, please. Graham Ashcraft against the Giants got the win. Six innings, two runs, five hits, two walks, and three Ks. The cutter command is still really bad, and the slider was fine. But yeah, I really don't want to lean on this one. I, I think this is just not something that you want to go and chase. This is the ceiling you're seeing right now, and I don't think that's going to stick around. Aaron Savali, oh boy, he went against Pittsburgh. 5.1 innings, 200 runs, 5 hits, 1 walk, and 3 Ks. 13 whiffs, 28% CSW, 88 pitches. Like, Nick, that's great. This is what he's supposed to do against the Pirates. Absolutely. He sat down, sat four ticks. Not one, not two. Four ticks down on his fastballs. That's both the sinker and the four-seamer. Everything was just down. 2.7 on the cutter. Yeah, he is hurt. He is. There's something that bothered him in it. Generally, I would say there's something significant. At the same time, the fact that he still went through the entire game could be something that is bothering him and not a significant injury that would say, whoa, I need to stop because this is really, really painful. Um, (laughs) Funny story. I literally had a dream about this, that I was on the mound and I literally couldn't throw the ball over the plate. Uh, Yep, that was every time I, I dream about pitching. There's always something weird about it, and I think it's because of the Savali start. All right, Colin Ray, um, five innings, two earned runs, five hits, zero, zero walks, and three strikeouts. Yeah, I'm glad that it worked out for Colin Ray. It is very much of like your dart throw, like maybe this will work. Same kind of thing with Trevor Williams. Even though Trevor Williams, five innings, two earned runs, like Colin Ray, seven hits, two walks, and one strikeout. How am I supposed to butter my bread with this? And you realize then, wait, because it's not, let's say it was three earned runs, this would just be universally across the board bad. Two earned runs means it's a 3.6, but like one earned run difference at the sacrifice of just one strikeout and nine base runners is not good. So we don't like this at all. Dakota Hudson against the Marlins returned 66 pitches in traditional fashion, just 17% CSW and six whiffs and one strikeout, three innings, two earned runs, five hits, zero walks. Like that gets extrapolated out to four earned runs and 10 base runners in six innings just for a frame of reference. Yeah, no, thank you, Dakota Hudson. There is a chance he can go five, six innings with just a ton of grounders that find gloves. Like, that's just his world. He's even at 66 pitches, so maybe that might take two more starts or so to really get there, but don't chase that. Uh, Luis Castillo against the Twins, six innings, three earned runs, six hits, two walks. That sounds terrible right now. I understand. Oh, boy. Luis Castillo, what's going on? Oh, wait. It was 11 strikeouts and 22 whiffs for a gallows pull and a 41% CSW with his slider going 11 for 31 slider whiffs and 58% CSW. I just, it's annoying. This is how baseball works is the guys that actually are doing all the amazing things and are just so dominant on the mound. They just find like some ways, the the offense just finds some ways to get some hits and score some runs while there are other guys that are just chucking nothing and they're able to go one or run or something. It's it's just, that's baseball sometimes. That's how it is. The important thing here is moving forward with Luis Castillo. Like, you should feel so good about him. I think some people are going to look at this and go, oh, gosh, the whip again. And the, the earn runs like, oh, what's going on with Castillo? Like, nothing. 
things are great. You know, really understand that um, with Castillo. And there are a lot of guys like that, I think, that have had these rougher starts out of the break. And I think there are too much, um, there's too much aggression against them that should not be there. There is a, definitely another one later on that I'll talk about there. Ross Stripling, inside of Cincy, six innings, 300 runs, four hits, zero walks, and two strikeouts. Okay. 76 pitches for a poor quality start is honestly great. And the whip was under one. Cool. Two strikeouts. Got the loss. The changeup is still not there. Two over 23 whiffs. And I just don't really want to do it. At least he got the good whip, I guess, if you went for it. But yeah. Ryan Yarbrough against the Tigers. 5.2 innings, 300 runs, six hits, one walk, and four strikeouts. The Friday Pirate, I guess, came through-ish. What are you getting from this? I mean, you don't get the, the quality start. The, the whip isn't really good, and it's just four strikeouts. You don't want to go after Ryan Yarbrough. And this was against the Tigers, and his velocity was down. Okay. Uh, Austin Gomber inside of uh, Coors against Houston. Honestly, like six innings of forward runs, eight hits, zero walks, five Ks is kind of good for Gomber inside of Coors against the Astros. Okay. Sandy Alcantara allowed forward runs in the first inning to the Cardinals and then was shut out with just two hits the rest of the way. Or sorry, four hits the rest of the way. So it was six innings, four and runs, eight hits, two walks, seven Ks. Like that's it. Like it's so annoying because you see the moments where it's just, oh gosh, it just isn't going his way. He allows a three-run shot. And there you go. And then then he goes absolute ham the next five innings. And I'm like, oh right, there is the there is the unbelievable Sandy Alcantara that we love so much. You know, and so what am I supposed to do as an analyst? Am I just supposed to just say, well, this is the expectation? that he's just going to have that terrible inning. Generally, whenever we talk about guys that are like, oh, he just can't avoid that one inning, they go away. Like, that's not something that just haunts them forever. And then we see five shutout innings like that, and it's like, well, yeah, that's that's more believable to me than the than blow-up inning. But I, I understand, like, I hate this, because I feel like I have to make an excuse for Sandy every single start, and I don't, I don't I'm not looking past that. I, I understand, and I feel like I need to be lowering Sandy Alcantara because it just feels so consistent that he has this one terrible inning. But, you know, you understand my confliction, right? And I bet some of you are listening going like, Nick, you have a soft spot for Sandy Alcantara. Thus, and you're, you're blinded by that and so on and so forth. And of course I do, but I have a soft spot because I just love his stuff. <laughs> I just think he's, you know, he did it last year. He was great. Um, and I also recognize that there have been times when um, analysts and probably me, I'm sure, um, we were in on a guy at the right time. And that means that the next year we are more aggressive on them because they're just our guy now. But, I mean, I don't know. I remember like Aaron Nola finally having his breakout season. I think it was, what, 2018? And then I was being the low guy in 2019, right? Um, Sandy Alcantara, I was certainly the high guy because I was like, he's the most safe of, I think, uh, if you guys listened to that podcast I put out a year, a week ago of reviewing my approach in the preseason um, about Sandy Alcantara and like everybody in my top 100. Um, with Sandy, my takeaway was that the infield defense got a lot worse and I did not gauge that one enough. Um, I think that's actually been a major thing for him is that Miguel Rojas left. But, um, I mean, the changeup then also was really weird as well. I don't know. You can say whatever you want about my feelings about Sandy Alcantara. I feel like you guys all know what he's capable of and what the second half could bring and what he's done in the past and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, it's annoying. Okay, uh, Rich Hill against the Guardians. 5.2 innings, 4 and runs, 8 hits, 1 walk, and 1 strikeout. And there's nothing you want here. And what do you know? He was up 2 ticks on the sinker, up to 87.2. Look at him go. 
All right, Charlie Morton against the Diamondbacks, 5.2 innings, four and runs, six sets, three walks, four Ks. Oh, man, I thought, like, this would be the July of just, hey, Charlie Morton's great now for the rest of the way, and nope. Okay, so now we have another hipster, headache-inducing pitcher, stifling the entire roster, but you're just going to keep starting the cherry bomb that is Charlie Morton. Ken Waldachuk against Boston isn't really doing anything that gets me excited about him, but I do wonder for next year if he, if he gets enough time this year to really focus on four seamers up and sweepers down and away then maybe actually Ken Waldachuk can turn into that pitcher that he's supposed to be. Tuki Dusant against the Mets. Six innings, five earned runs, four hits, four walks, and three strikeouts because, yeah, Tuki is not worth your time. Dean Kramer against the Dodgers. It was the Dodgers, and this was a hot streak coming in for Dean Kramer, and not so much. 4.2 innings, five earned runs, four hits, four walks, and 1K. Yep, uh, he should hopefully uh, shake it off, but that's kind of why I wasn't in on Dean Kramer because... He has to really do the thing to be the good arm, right? And even that good arm isn't the biggest ceiling. So just something to think about with Dean Kramer. Uh, Julio Urias, five innings, eight earned runs, eight hits, two walks, two Ks. Honestly, like, he did pretty much the same thing um, from skill standpoint as he did last time. And the Orioles just jumped on everything he threw in the zone. They were aggressive to Urias, and they uh, punished Urias for it. That's fine. It happens. But honestly, uh, you know, he didn't allow that many hard hits. Kramer allowed more hard hits than Urias and had half the amount of allowed hits. That's just kind of how baseball works. Brian Bayo didn't do well against the Oakland Athletics. Four innings of 600 runs, five hits, two walks, and three strikeouts. Yeah, he allowed three homers. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's really it. That's why he didn't do well against the Athletics. They were able to hit homers off of him. Um you know, he just didn't, uh, two four-seamers left the yard, a change-up left the yard. It wasn't on the sinker, which I think is the better fastball, and a change-up left the yard. Okay, uh, I'm not going to allow that to really shift how I feel about Brian Bayo. And Carlos Rodon. So, there are a couple things I got to say about Carlos Rodon here, guys. Like, a lot of it. First and foremost, there is a, um, I mean, he did terribly against the Angels, okay? 4.1 innings, 600 runs, 4 hits, 5 walks, 3 Ks. And I want to just talk about from quickly from a fantasy perspective. I'm still very much in on Carlos Rodon. Um, he's at three starts back. Okay. And this is really what the timeline has been. The first start wasn't too impressed in the strikeout department. He was just getting settled in. Had good command, I think, with fastballs up. And had a really nice 97 miles per hour fastball upstairs for a whiff. And that's just like, yeah, that's just what he does. Got a strike on that. I remember that very distinctly. I think it was the end of the first inning. That's Carlos Rodon. Skills are there. Slider can be down and great. Okay. Second start arrives. Um, it's a little bit worse uh, and it's not quite as fine-tuned. And I feel like, okay, 88 pitches now. He should be really good for this angel start. It's totally wrong, right? This was horrific. So what do we do now with Carlos Rodon? I, I think that this five-walk game is abnormal. It's interesting to see that he only had four hits. This stuff is still hard to hit. And five walks... He was a little bit flustered. He didn't, wasn't able to get into a rhythm. What we see from Carlos Rodon is the second that he has one game where it's just like, okay, fastballs are here and sliders are here, it just soars. And we know this. This is a guy who hasn't pitched for a while. It happens all the time from guys coming back from injury is they need a moment to shake off some rust and then bam, there they go. Carlos Rodon, from a skill standpoint of movement and velocity and all that stuff, is very much the guy that, uh, that he was last year. I am not worried about this in the slightest. Uh, someone in chat traded away Rodon for um, Christian Javier and Hunter Green. Would not have done that. Uh, I think that Rodon is still, I know it's shocking, 
still a top 20 SP rest of the way, if not top 15, because it's about this point moving forward. Now, there's another side of this where I, I, I've seen a lot of fans speak so, so harshly against Carlos Rodon. A lot of them were jeering at him in the middle of the game after allowing only foreign runs, and he blew a kiss to them. And honestly, I love it. So many fans are like, this is the worst thing ever. How dare he? Dude, he didn't yell at them. He didn't give them the finger. You know, like there's an understanding that you are supposed to, as a player, take verbal abuse. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And for him to to blow a kiss is kind of just like, all right, I'm going to send you love back and you give me hate. And all of a sudden that's like not a good look or something. You're not taking this seriously. Come on, stop that. Stop that for a second. Okay. The idea that Carlos Rodon just got his payday and just doesn't care is ridiculous. I, I hate I hate this so much. And I need I really do need to vent this. I see I, I went through all these comments talking about Rodon and saying, like, oh man, I can't believe we have him for five years now. I can't believe like what he's waited so long and recovering from injury and now he's not, you know, and now he's not ready to go. Like, guys. This is an ultra, ultra small sample. And I know that the Yankees are at such a point in the season where they just needed a hero and they wanted it to be Rodon. They paid so much money for his expectations and it's just been so bad. And here's the latest guy that they're going to take it out on. And I get that so much, but try to be rational about this. Try to actually realize like Carlos Rodon is still a very, very, very good pitcher. Like he is going to be much better than this. You, You can't just... Ugh. come on come on <sighs> all right sorry I needed to do that and it, it, it does really bother me that like give this guy support give him positivity you're trying to whip him into shape does not work opposite forces right every force is an equal and opposite force you throw negativity you get negativity back you throw positivity you get it back pick him up that's your guy. Whether you like it or not, that's your guy. Don't put him further down in the hole. Pick him up. Come on. Sorry. All right. Anyway, Carlos Rodon, I think, should be much better. There you go. Sweet. So this podcast is sponsored by Underdog, and today we are going to play their pick em very quickly. I'm just going to give you my quick picks for a few guys with Underdog that I really like. First, what I'm going to do is uh, Blake Snell, higher or lower than 6.5 strikeouts. I am taking the higher on that. He's on too good of a run for me to say no to that. While uh, Chris Bassett, um, higher or lower than two walks allowed, I'm going to say lower for Chris Bassett. I think that he's just going to pump a ton of strikes here. And the uh, the Padres are just not that good of an offense. So I am absolutely going with that. Uh, we have Michael Kopech, higher or lower than four strikeouts. I am taking the lower on that one. Um, I just think he's in a terrible place right now, and the Mets should be able to jump on it. And I'm also going to be taking the lower on Jose Quintana at his four strikeouts as well in this very clear still ill. And one more I'm going to go with is, uh, let's see, let's do... (laughs) 
Let's do Steven Matz at five strikeouts. I'm going to go higher against the Cubs as I feel like he's throwing 95 miles per hour, and that's a very, very sneaky one there. Now, keep in mind for playing underdog fantasy, uh, you must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 20 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org, or in Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. Looking forward to today's games, we have Spencer Strider, Tyler Glasnow, Corbin Burns, Pablo Lopez, George Kirby, Blake Snell, Zach Gallen, Andrew Abbott, Marcus Stroman, and Chris Bassett. Pretty straightforward stuff there. Uh, you do have some bad matchups of Gallen uh, against the uh, against Atlanta and Blake Snell against Toronto. I am still very much going for them. You have J- JP France against Oakland, Michael Lorenzen as our stream pick of the day against the Royals. Taiwan Walker, Alex Cobb, and Steven Matz uh, in that probable start tier, as I mentioned with Steven Matz. I feel good about this one against the Cubs. I think you go for it. Alex Cobb is in Cincy. It's a little bit tenuous, but I still go for that one, considering that he's had that slider. And Taiwan Walker against the Brewers feels pretty good, with Lorenzen as a clear stream against the Royals, and J.P. Francis is clear streaming against the Oakland Athletics. There's no questionable start. That's just how it is. Jose Quintana is still ill against the White Sox against Michael Kopech. I want to avoid those both completely. Sam McCall Gibson against the Rays. Hogan Harris against the Astros. And Zach Greinke also being still ill against the Detroit Tigers. It's five innings of like 62 pitches is what you're hoping for. No thank you whatsoever. I do not take that chance. Tomorrow's starters, you have Framber Valdez, Joe Ryan, Shohei Otani. If he is going tomorrow, Shohei, great. It could be Reed Detmers instead, and he would be uh, in this auto start tier as well against the Pirates, even though he has been bad the last two starts against the Dodgers and Astros. James Paxton's also here against the Mets. I'm all for it. It was a grand slam against the Cubs, so it happens. Who cares? Same with Eflin and Steele. They both had bad uh, outings last time. I do not see any skills that are worse, and thus I start them against the Orioles and the Cardinals, respectively. And Kodai Sang is at the bottom because he's getting so many strikeouts, and I feel like you just have to go for that against the Red Sox, even though he has a history of volatile whips. We have in the probable start tier Clark Schmidt as our stream pick of the day. Very clear. He won here against the Royals. He's been in a really good place. His stuff was as good as I've seen as, as far as his command goes in his last outing. I love that one. Same with Seth Lugo against the Tigers. The Pirates are not the winning team that they used to be. So a little bit weird there, but I still want to go with Seth Lugo. Lance Lynn is in a much better situation against the Twins. Jack Flaherty's in a place against the Cubs. You have Gavin Williams doing high heaters really effectively, and hopefully the secondaries will come down low, but I feel like that's good enough against the Phillies. Then the rest of this is very contentious, and I'm going to lean probably start instead of questionable start, but I understand if you want to put a lot of these into questionable start. Freddie Peralta is in Atlanta. It's Atlanta, but also Freddie Peralta is super hot right now. I'm going for it. Bryce Miller against the Jays. It's the Jays, but Bryce Miller's fastball is just that elite. Michael Soroka gets the Brewers. It feels like a decent stream. Braxton Garrett has not been good for three starts now with his cutter and sinker command, and the slider has not been that great, but it's Rocky Road, and I feel like this is judgment day for him. If it doesn't go well here, we move on, but if the skills return, then we're good. Alec Marsh against the Yankees. It's not the Detroit Tigers because it was Granky today and that pushed Marsh to today, tomorrow instead rather, but the Yankees are not doing well whatsoever, so we stick with Marsh there. And Yusei Kikuchi against the Mariners. The breaking balls are in the zone and not out of the zone, which makes me a little worried because those are the pitches that the Mariners struggle against is out of the zone breaking balls, but in the zone might be a little bit tougher and Kikuchi has been hanging some curveballs a decent amount. But I think we still go for it. Questionable start tier, J.P. Sears is looking pretty dang good these days, as Fast also had a Alex Fast show covering Sears uh, about a week or two ago. But it's the Astros, so I understand if you don't want to do that one. Uh, Reese 
Olsen could be interesting against the Padres. Uh, Juan Aviedo against the Angels. He's fresh off a high strikeout game. However, he got away with a lot of foul balls that normally are in play, and that allowed him to get those strikeouts, and I don't know if that's going to stick because that's a very noisy thing. Kyle Brash gets the race, but he's so hot right now, but it's the race. Andrew Heaney is going to be good command of sliders down and fastballs up. I don't know, and it's a Dodger, so we're probably avoiding this one. Same with Tony Gonsolin on the other side of that against the Rangers. It's just not enough of a ceiling for me to chase. Um, but I understand that it could work out. You could get a win as it is Heaney on the other side. Uh, and then do not start here. Jake Irvin against the Giants, Alex Wood against the Nationals, and Tommy Henry against the Reds are the most intriguing ones, but I just don't want to trust that Irvin's velocity has been down. Alex Wood could go five innings against the Nationals, but he didn't come through last time, and it could be very frustrating. Well, you don't want to pitch in Cincinnati. Tommy Henry's there, and the slider has not been a major factor lately. Ranger Suarez is way past the Vargas rule. At this point, three very disappointing starts in a row. Command's not there against the Guardians. No, thank you. Chase Anderson's against the Marlins. No, thanks. And uh, inside of Miami, but it's Chase Anderson. And Ben Lively hasn't had a slider for ages, so we don't do that. All right, that is it for today's episode. Thanks for the long one. That is all. But I'm actually uh, having some exciting news, I think, tomorrow. Go on the live stream at twitch.tv slash list. But uh, that might change soon. So uh, make sure you tune in tomorrow for some very exciting news. But that is it. So my name is Nick Pollock, and may your bounce be low and your strikeouts high.